You're listening to CPC Together, a podcast by Central Peninsula Church in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, we're going to start a little bit different today. First of all, I want to let you all know that we are here with Sam Abel. Um, Sammy Lee Abel. Sam is able. That's me. I'm not even kidding when I say that I sing that song almost every time I hear your last name. Really? It goes through my head. To accomplish what is done today. (laughs) Do you know that song, Sam? No, but I hope the podcast is just 45 minutes of... That is that that by the way, you not knowing that song is showing your age. Yeah, yeah, and totally. what years you went through youth group? Because that, yeah. if you did not have that song in youth group, you clearly were not late nineties, early two thousand. What was the no. hot worship song coming up, Sam? Like when you were when you were a wee lad? I think it was like it was like greater things are still to come. Greater things are oh, still yeah. to city. be done in this city. God yeah, of yeah, the yeah. City. That was it. I just remember like emo kids on guitar, singing that song, pouring out their heart, like, this is going to be something big. Yeah. Let's see when that was released. Yeah, when, when was it released, Kevin? Um, 2012? I'm going to have our people look at it. No, I think it's probably like 2007. I think it was later than that. Yeah, have our producer look at it, Kevin. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, no, that's... Uh, <laughs> when I searched for it, it's definitely the Matthew McConaughey movie that came up, <laughs> City of God, City I think of it God. is. Yeah, uh, that's not what I want. It was so. either that or Good Good Father, right? Like that oh, was Good the Good Father was, of like a summer camp after God of the City. Yeah, I'm Hi. seeing um, 2008. What about God of the City? What about does that, does that sound that, right? That would have been like I was in middle school at that time. So that was still too early. Yeah, that was probably still too early. But yeah, we tend to hang on to songs, right? Like yeah, 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 yeah. We tend not to just discard a Christian hit right away. Yeah, like Oceans it's, had, oh, had no, a that, long run. That's still on the radio. That, <laughs> it's still there. You turn That on. had a Seinfeld-like run, you yeah. know what I mean, where that just kept, kept going. It never stops. Never stops. Anyway, um, so we're going to start a little bit different today, like as I started. And um, I want to make sure that Kevin has to fit in a particular word. So this is why we're all here today. This yeah. is why we're here. This is it. So what I've done is I've found a word that um, is called. It's it's pronounced. I think rivulos. Is that right? Rivulos. Rivulos. Can I hear it in a sentence? <laughs> Definition. Of Country origin, of origin, please. please. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that you asked that, Kevin, because the whole point of this is for you to use it in a sentence. <laughs> um, and I think it means. <sighs> I think I, I think I deleted the definition. What Do you want it? me to give you the definition? Because I did look it up. What is it? Marked with irregular, narrow, sinuous, or crooked lines. Okay. So at some point <laughs> in this conversation, I want you to seamlessly fit that word in. And if you do it, Sam's going to Venmo you a dollar. <laughs> One whole dollar? Just a buck? <laughs> Is it a dollar for every time I use it? No, no. Because oh, this could episode could be brought hurry. to you by, by Rivulos. <laughs> that, was, that could be very costly. For- <laughs> Just, uh. Anyway, um, so we're going to start that way, which I think will be good. And Kevin, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, I'm wondering if you relate to this. Have you ever, have you ever hired somebody... Who you're like, man, you, the first time you look at like their resume, maybe you haven't met them yet. You look at their resume and you're like, man, this guy, this guy's good. This guy's good. There's no way he could possibly live up to this resume. And so that you had a, a phone call, which is kind yeah. of non-committal, right? So you yeah, have a yeah, phone yeah. call, you talk to him and you're like, man, actually this guy is like, this guy's pretty, pretty cool guy. I like him just based on, you know, how he talks and he seems pretty quick, answers my questions nice, like... I'm kind of impressed now. And you're like, there's no way this guy's good looking because if, <laughs> if he's this well-spoken and his resume, he can't be the whole package. There's, there's no, no chance. way. There's and no so then, chance. Then you schedule a zoom call. Easy. still easy to just leave. You can just yeah. press the button. And if it goes bad and then you see the zoom call, just ghost him. And, and, and you're like, <laughs> wait, he's good looking too. Yeah. It's he, the whole thing. And then you're on there on the Zoom call, and you're like, there's probably a filter. He's probably found some way to use a filter, which, good on him. That's intelligent. It's resourceful. You know, that kind of thing. But <laughs> use it I, as resources. I'm going to bring him out for an interview, but there is no way. There's no, no way. chance. He looks this good and can interact with people. And then you have him out, 
And, and then you hire him and he's wonderful and the whole staff loves him. And then, and then you decide there's, there's just, we have to try this out just for the sake of experiment. Let's have him speak on a Sunday morning. There's no chance. There's just no, it would not be fair of God to place this much talent on one young man. And so you have him preach and he ends up blowing out of the park. Out of the park. Have you ever, do you, can, have you ever done that? No. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Except for that one time that I hired the only Tom right Hanks. Answer. But other than that, it was just perfect. You want to know the funny thing about about Sammy Lee, who's with us today? Is so we interviewed Sam and Bree and hired them during the pandemic. They were in Florida, and so my only interactions they couldn't do the normal come out for a weekend and check we things out. Sort of thing. Transfer, yeah, a COVID transfer. Uh, and and I remember. Uh, all of those things when I was interviewing Sam. <laughs> Super impressed, really excited about him. And then we hired him, and I remember pulling up to the church his first day as I'm going to give him kind of the tour. And I thought, what if this guy is oddly yeah. small? Yeah. I was like, I've never. <laughs> I remember you saying that. Yeah. You're like, I don't know what I would have done. I had no idea how tall he was. I yeah. had because no, I'd never seen him only on the Zoom call. And Just then come to find out. From shoulders up. Yeah. That's it. Just shoulders up. You looked, you looked proportionate. You know, Normal like, size. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yet somehow, like, I show up. I'm like, oh, this guy's taller than I thought. I did not expect you to be as tall as you are. And again, again, it's not just kind of not fair, Sam. No, He's tall. It's, it's absolutely atrocious. It's <laughs> anyway, um, that's how I wanted to. Uh, but uh, you, Sam, you did a great job, by the way. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Great first message here at CBC. I know it's not your first message ever, but at the, on the on the stage in the auditorium, whatever, whatever we call that room, the sanctuary. The sanctuary. Yeah. We lift our hands. I am. I want to be on the record as being anti-calling at the auditorium. You will die on that hill. I will die on that yeah. hill. It is a sanctuary. What about the worship center? No. I don't like that. Too corporate. What about the house of the Lord? House of the Lord. We're moving in the right direction. Because <laughs> here's the thing. High schools have auditoriums. Which are great. But churches don't have auditoriums. They have sanctuaries. Too worldly. <laughs> Too what if we split the difference? Neither we, of you care. Neither of you care as much as I do. What, what if we split the difference and call it the Holy of Holies? <laughs> well, outside of That's blasphemy, that might be okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but great job, Sam. So you, one of the first things that you kind of asked us, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to just bat around. I don't know what was coming to your brain, Kevin, but uh, maybe in a lighthearted way, what are yeah. areas that uh, you avoid? And I'll start because... I remember in, in college when funds are always tight, right? Like I would have these moments where the bank account would get low and the lower the bank account would get, the less I would want to check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'd be you just like, don't no, if, I, if you don't look, it doesn't exist. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if I pull that up and it says you have $4.75 left. Then it's reality. And you're at McDonald's and you know your 20 nuggets are going to be five. You you don't want to you know you'd rather not embrace reality. Yeah. You suspend belief. Well, what do you avoid, Kevin? Oh, or what, did what do you I avoid? avoid? Um, oh man, I'm not ready. You you gave me this question. And I'm still not ready for it. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I got to think. Maybe about you're it. not an avoider. No, I am. I am. <laughs> I I'm an escapist. When I get when I get stressed, not that I I don't avoid looking at it like you did with that um, example. But I, I just kind of, I don't know. I don't know if it's avoidance. I, I escape to, I'm just going to watch another show. Or, yeah. But I should probably watch the whole Giants game or this or that. And, and then I should probably watch the post game and, and see what the coach says about what I just watched. Then I should probably watch the highlights of the game that I just watched. So then, and then it's too late. I probably shouldn't work or read or whatever because it's too late now. So I should just go to bed, you know. Get a good start on tomorrow. Get a good jump on tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I, so I don't know if that's what I avoid, but that's how I avoid um, and do that yeah. regularly. Well, you kind of mentioned a little bit about that, Sam. About we run to distraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's something that we to to get us away from anything we don't want to deal with or don't want to think about. Yeah, we can run away to distraction. Um, what about you? Oh. Dude, I will avoid dishes at all costs. Really? <laughs> like the household chore of doing the dishes. And it's not when there's like dishes in the sink. It's when there's multiple dishes in the sink. Like when there's a day or so of dishes in there and there's old food, that's disgusting. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to know that it exists. I put blinders on and I'll walk past the sink 
are you, as if it <laughs> never has existed before. Are you a, uh, a glove wear when you do dishes? I, I totally would be. Oh, you would be? Oh, I would be. So you just you don't ever, do dishes. If you ever did dishes, you would wear <laughs> the yellow gloves. I'm too cheap to buy the gloves. <laughs> uh, and it's also like a thing of, well, I might as well just do it. And eventually I break down and do it. But it's disgust the whole time. Uh. As I'm touching like old food, it's absolutely nauseating to we me. We should What's start a fund, like a GoFundMe for dish gloves for Sam. <laughs> for I, I mean, it, three bucks. It's Link a big in the deal, show right? notes. Like, <laughs> for my own comfort, it's like I can't justify the cause. What's the What's the worst leftover food on the dish that you will have to touch? Like, oh, what's the be thing like, that grosses you out the most? This grosses me. It's probably avocados. <laughs> like, because it cakes on. Oh, and if oh, it, God, you know, yeah. Brie and I ever eat something with, like, avocados and cheese, and it's left in the bottom of a bowl for a couple days. Oh, so maybe, like, a, like that. A, guaco, a guacamole queso dip. Oh, it's nasty. I don't even want to oh. buy guac. <laughs> because it's like, this is going to end up in the bottom of a bowl somewhere. <laughs> and then my fingers are going to have to touch it, and it's going to get under my nails. Oh. And then See, there's, there's just, something there that'll preach yeah. where you are avoiding something so good as guacamole to not deal wow. with the effects of it. That'll this preach. Is, this is why he's that'll preach. pastor right here. <laughs> also, how are you doing dishes to get food under your nails? That is so gross. Like, are you scratching the bowl? Yeah, do you go bare hand? It, it won't come off with the scrub daddy, right? The sponge the scrub that I daddy. bought. It won't come off. You need you a more need, coarse scrub. Yeah, daddy. you need some like steel wool or something. You need you, know? you need you need you need a sponge that has kind of like really like the steel wool, yeah. and they have kind of really rivulose kind of parts there where you can scrub that's the nasty. plate. Yeah. It just becomes. It that's one dollar into the fund right there for my gloves. Uh, you need to listen to Kevin too because he's the dishwashing daddy. Like yeah. I do. He listens to what do you say? You I love like, I love dishes. I will watch a game while I'm doing dishes. Oh yeah, dishes I watch a show. Like a I'll podcast. put an iPod on because it takes pod, like a show forty five minutes. Oh yeah, so you might as well be doing something. Yeah, yeah. There's something cathartic about just putting a podcast on or a, you know watching the Warriors game while I do dishes. It's broken me. It's bro- to be honest with you, <laughs> I avoided it for the first couple months, but then after that, it's like all right, here it is. I'm. I'm just all in. Yeah. I might as well go for it. <laughs> just got to go for it. So Sam, one of the one of the most beautiful part of these messages is is the restoration piece um that you hit so often and and Jesus um you look at the story of, of the leper. Do we does he have a name by the way? We didn't we don't really know the leper's name. We I don't think he him. got a name. Yeah. In the Bible, he got his story told, <laughs> but I don't think he actually yeah. got a name. But the idea that Jesus takes personal responsibility for the leper's restoration. I mean, that feels like, it feels like such a, I don't know. It's such a beautiful thing to think that God would, would take responsibility for restoring us. And, you know, leper, uh, I think the leper is a, is a really good example because as you said, um, lepers are kind of like dead men walking. Yeah. Right. So, so tell me a little bit about that in your research. So what they would just, the family would literally kind of like have a funeral for him. And do they attend their own funeral? Are they like sitting out looking through the window? Like I, I, I do not think that they would attend their own funeral, although that would be an ominous experience. Uh, I think what would happen as far as I understand is that they would instantly banish them, right? As soon as they found out they were diagnosed, they would put them outside the city walls. And then the family was just left to cope uh, with the reality. So they would more than likely have a funeral for the person and declare them essentially dead because they were never going to see them again. They were never going to interact with them again. And something had to be done with the estate and the belongings or whatever was left uh, that the person left behind. That is just crazy to think about. Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, I was thinking just like you, you in your message, not only detailed that so well, but like I just kept sitting there thinking of that internal shame that would just develop uh, which was not the result of anything they did, right? It was just no. like they had they had they had this disease, and so like that sense of um, like it's hard to wrap my head around the idea of either hosting your own funeral, yeah, um, right, where that was how you're accepted, but that that deep place of like guilt and shame and living then or yeah. trying to live from there, um, just devastating, right? Like I can't imagine what that would feel like. Yeah, didn't. Um didn't Ross do that in Friends? Yes, he did. So Sam and I, neither of us are oh, really... Oh, that's terrible that I remember We're that. never fans. We're, him and I are not fans <laughs> of the Friends show, but we both have a wife that yeah. that probably 
the two of them are the two people I know that know the most about that. Just to clarify, things. you guys each have your own wives, though. You yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this isn't <laughs> a sharing situation. We have a wife <laughs> who loves the show, but they, they, they <laughs> your wives love the show. Just, just to clarify, yeah, our, our individual and respective wives. I feel like that was important to clarify. <laughs> just felt like, I, yeah, yeah, I wanted to insert that in. But when you listener. have a wife that loves friends, yes, you just like you, we both do. You sort of just you. Glean. Absorb that. Yeah, you, by osmosis. You become like that, yeah. It's, so yeah, there's an episode where Ross has his own, he like schedules his own funeral. And then he's like in the other room yeah. listening to what people would say about him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That'd be interesting. So you said um, anywhere, I love this uh, line, anywhere Jesus goes, yeah. restoration yeah. happens. So the leper was one example, but sort of, you know, and we, we we talk a lot about being shaped by the world. You know, when you go somewhere where you're around people, you become, you, you kind of have a risk of becoming, for better or for worse, who you're around. Yeah. But Jesus is sort of the opposite. Like, yeah. you're saying, like, wherever he goes. It makes me think of um, this Chuck Norris joke. <laughs> that Say more right now. That, uh... The outline of this podcast, by the way, is fairly <laughs> rivulous. I just want to throw that out there. We're a bit all over the place. Two dollars. I'm almost at my plastic gloves. Um, <laughs> the it says that Chuck Norris, when he gets in the water, Chuck Norris doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. Wow, I needed that on Sunday, and I feel like I feel like that's that, exactly that's what, what was saying. missing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that wherever Jesus goes restoration happens yeah absolutely now that's that's what we see all throughout scriptures that like where he goes restoration follows and like that's that's i mean i'm I'm passionate about this in such a way that it's not like in a judgmental way and it's not like things become a little bit more clean but like personal restoration happens peace comes into conversations and into families when you hang out with people who love jesus like that's just you're not going to be around someone and not become more like them it's impossible. Like, think about like growing up in school. Like, if you had a group of friends that you hung out with, chances are you became more like them for better or for worse, even in the style of dress you had or the style of like music you listened to. And that's really what I think Mark's doing thus far in the gospel is is he's going, you know, go back to, to one, um, chapter one, verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, right? There's not only Jesus thesis statement, it's the very thing that Mark's writing about. And then what he's doing after de- kind of declaring, this is what it's going to be about is demonstrating the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and so when you get like what you said on Sunday, that wherever Jesus goes, restoration happens, what we're seeing in there is that's exactly what Mark is doing, right? He's driving out uh, the impure spirit, going back to verse 21 mm-hmm, and following. Mm-hmm. He's healing many from 29. He's in um, you know, silence and solitude. And then he's healing the man with leprosy. Like all of these things are what the kingdom of God does. Yeah. And, and so in that, that's, that's Mark's way of demonstrating the kingdom of God. It is bringing about God's restoration. It is bringing about his redemption. And where we'll go this week, um, preaching in in chapter two, is for the first time, uh, Mark is kind of elaborating not just physical healing, that the kingdom of God brings about that, um, but we'll see in the healing of the paralytic, a great story where the friends like drop him through the roof right before Jesus, is um, what's interesting about the text is it's the first time Jesus will, instead of healing the man, which we would expect, it's what we've seen over and over, is now Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Yep. And it's it's now Mark has kind of equated, here's the Messiah who's bringing about the material restoration of the world. But then there's also this part where it's like he's going to bring him, in fact, that spiritual renewal as well and restoration. And so as we've been asking this question, who is Jesus? We're seeing this picture now in Mark develop over time. He's the one who restores. Um, he's the one who will see this week forgive. And all of these are starting to create kind of a, a thick picture of what the kingdom of God is, who Jesus is. And Mark's just kind of laying that out, uh, which I thought that's what you did really well in your sermon was when we come in contact with that, yeah. we become like that. We receive by bumping into Jesus that sort of restoration and forgiveness that we see play out in the gospel. I love that you tied it back to like the deepest part of who we are too. Mm. Like it's topical. Yes, we become like it. We look like it. We act like it. But it also there's soul transformation. There's spirit yeah. transformation too. It's yeah. not just topical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something so powerful about um, 
like what you were just saying there with with even even with respect to the leper like when you're when you're at this point where you are you know like the leper banished from society um you're kind of at this completely hopeless spot and it sort of brings new life to when we call him savior hmm. well the word and i don't know if this is where you're going or even now if this pigeonhole doesn't quite fit <laughs> <laughs> but the Greek word for salvation, or the verb to save, is the word sozo, um, which really actually has the connotation of healing, uh, which is a little more robust than the way we tend to think of it as just, um, not just, I don't want to say just, but the idea of like healing your soul or your the immaterial part of you, like that is in fact true, and that does in fact need healing. But it also, as we've seen in Mark, be both the physical and the spiritual, which we'll see just blatantly in this chapter two text where it's the paralytic man needs healing physically, but he also needs his soul saved. He needs that, that um, healing of the sins being forgiven. And so that's really, we, we tend to want to reduce the word salvation or save in the work of Jesus to one of those areas, mm-hmm. um, which is really where you find the divide um, kind of theologically um, can be along the lines of both. It's only a material thing. It's only a spiritual thing. Yeah. This is the thoughts and prayers thing at some level. Mm-hmm. Like the reason mm-hmm. we revolt against that is because we think it's just a sort of immaterial thing. But yet when we enter into thoughts and prayers after a certain tragedy, um, that done properly is in fact both evoking God to say we need um, the, the immaterial part of the world healed, but we also need the motivation to heal the material part. Um, and both of those things are kind of built into that word sozo, that idea of salvation. We just tend to want to reduce it to one camp or the other, one area or the other. Uh, but that's to miss what God's doing, right, in that idea of salvation. So you kind of bring in two different perspectives. The first one being, who have we banished? Who right. Who have we decided that we don't want to deal with? Yeah. And of course, you did mention that there is there are boundaries sometimes where we need to not have people in our lives for, for safety's reasons and that kind of yeah. stuff. We're not against that at all. But but in general, Jesus doesn't really banish people, yeah. right? Like yeah. he he comes towards people. Um and that was very convicting, Sam, to to think about that. Like who are the people that I that I banish or the people I just don't want to deal with anymore. You brought up one that was particularly hard for me cuz like you know with with uh pessimistic people. Um, it's hard. I'm kind of a solution-oriented guy, and if there's just someone who's constantly saying we can't do that, that's, yeah. that's just not possible, or you know, whatever. I, it really, my solution to that should be let me move closer and figure out, you know, like get on the same ground with this person. But in my, what I really want to do is just say it would be so much easier if I just didn't ever have to deal with you. Yeah, <laughs> because mm-hmm. then there's no one telling me it yeah. can't be done. Um, but the Jesus way is moving closer to Him, even Brene. Brown's quote that you used, uh, it's hard to hate people up close, which is a pretty powerful thought. You know, if you think about it, like when you really move to those people that you've othered, um, they still have a story, you know, they have a family of origin. Um, they have things that we don't want to think that humanize them and getting closer is kind of the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like sometimes like what I struggle with most about understanding this this idea of moving closer when we actually want to put boundaries up and walls up is like God actually made them that way. Like it could be frustrating to me and they might not be using their personality or their gifts in the way that God wants them to, but like chances are that God made them in a certain way that is supposed to find the areas that need to be improved. Like I I could completely identify with wanting to put up arms length away from people that are like super pessimistic or are constantly thinking like, oh, this is going to be the worst day ever. It's like, listen, I don't need that type of energy in my life. Um, but when I'm at my best and what I believe Jesus is trying to get at here is that like, there can actually be a use for some of that in our life. And they might not be using it the right way, but it honestly reveals something in me that needs to shift in my perspective because somehow Jesus was able to show up and move towards them. Whereas I want to put up my arms and be like, I got to go, like, I'm out of here. And that was you, and you made that point, you know, in in the text where it talks about 
the importance of Jesus touching the leper. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's not only in the sense of how that disease would, um, would create natural distance from community. And so they just hadn't experienced, um, intimacy in, in some level in that way. Uh, but, but it's, it gets back to again, like this idea of proximity, like the closer we get to people, the more we empathize. Yeah. Um, and even with this, this leper, right? Like the, the closer, the, the closer in proximity they were to Jesus, healing was coming, right? Like the more and more we're in that. And, and I, I, you know, I just think of our, uh, our own kind of cultural climate right now and the way in which like, particularly something like the internet builds distance. Yeah. Um, and it, it isolates people where they find, um, only, or they can find any like-minded person and create, you know, quote, scare quotes happening community. Yep. Yep. Um, that's built not off proximity, but rather, or at least proximity to those that are different than you, um, but solely to those that are um, identical to you. And, and so in that, you, you find a, a widening of separation between differences. Um, I think this is like, this is the importance is we're in kind of, you know, in, in COVID when we had to go hybrid so quickly and things were, um, we, you know, that, that sustained communities. But I'm wondering if some of the fallout of that is now the distance we've created um, is causing a lack of empathy to grow um, because you're just physically more distant. Mm. Um, and, and, and almost our technology wants to push us. I mean, that's distraction, right? As you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Distraction is creating distance between maybe it's ourselves um, and our own kind of um, shadow sides and pro- you know, distance to others. And, and that just fuels, right, division. And I'm just shocked as I've been kind of sitting with Mark the past couple of weeks of like how Jesus just was constantly closing the gap mm. between others. He's always moving forward. And that's what I think you brought out just so well is that the closer we get to others and the closer we get to Jesus, healing kind of is involved in both of those for the most part um, when done in a healthy manner. Um, and there's something to that proximity that the church I think should should embody, right? That's why that's why divisions in the church are so devastating, um, is because we're supposed to be the space where we can get closer to those who think different, yeah. um, to learn how to love one another well, and then model that for the world around us. So how do we do that? How do we, like, let's hmm. say we have a, all of us probably have someone or maybe multiple people that, you know, we kind of want to distance ourselves from, kind of want to move away from. How do we do that? Like, how do we move mm. towards them? Like Jesus, what, what is, what's the, what's the thought that we need to have? Like, I'm, I'm trying to even think of an example. Like if I have someone that's just constantly makes my life, you know, like messy, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I tend to draw my aunt who's a psychologist said, Brandon, there's something about you that draws clingers <laughs> <laughs> and people that just want, they just want a little bit more time. They always just yeah. want a little bit more time. And I tend to just want to be like, nah, get away from me. Yeah. Um, so obviously there are probably some boundary issues there, but assuming I deal with those, like what's the way to move toward hmm. people the way Jesus did? Like what's the thought? Hmm. Or how like, do you guys do that? Well, I just keep thinking of like, maybe this will sound churchy and spiritualized and I hope it doesn't, but there's something to the fact that Jesus gave us a meal to share, right? In communion. Like where he says, like, do this in remembrance of me. Like there's, there's any sort of practice or sacrament he could have given us, but he gives us a meal. And that, that image of table, right, of eating together, like there's something so profound about that idea because, again, table um, is that place where you don't, you don't push away, right? Like you just, you, you're at the table together. Like I, we talk about this with our girls all the time. Like this is the place where when the day's been good or bad, we come back together to have dinner together. Yeah, there's no getting and away from that. There's no getting away from it. Meal, the meal is coming and we engage in that. And there's, I think, something to be said about not only the meal, but the consistency of something like that, where it's when we gather as the church, we gather for the sole purpose of, of really elevating Jesus and declaring Jesus as Lord. And so what that does then is it dilutes all the other reasons that we could gather. It's like, okay, we can gather around this particular tribe or this ideology or this whatever. And those aren't necessarily always bad, um, but it's when the church gathers, when the ecclesia gathers, we gather for the purpose of, of declaring Jesus as Lord. And that statement transcends all those other differences. Mm. 
And so when you commit to that gathering, you will bump into people who think different, vote different, earn different, all of that. And then it's in that space, because we have a higher allegiance, a higher declaration, where I can then rub shoulders with someone who thinks radically different than me, um, because I have a container that is higher than those other affiliations. And so when the church divides by something like, let's say, politics, um, the devastating part of that, it's because then we've allowed a lesser Mm -hmm. commitment Mm -hmm. to take the place of the higher commitment. And that allegiance has assumed the higher allegiance. And, and that becomes the fallout of where, where brokenness kind of um, can perpetuate. And, and that, that's, that's painful, right? And so I don't, know if that, I don't know if that necessarily answers how we do it. That's still a little yeah, bit more good. on the why. Um, but there's something to that commitment to just show up to the people that do think different uh, than you. You know, when I think about the church and how cool that is, Kevin, like there are people that I hang out with because... I'm at this church that I would never share a room with. You'd never mm-hmm. probably even interact with them. Never. It's not, it, yeah. You just wouldn't go there. Yeah, there's people that I hang out with that just generally would never hang out with a musician. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, like when you, when you, you can, you can choose to make those things that, that um, are different, you can choose to make that divide you. Yeah. But if, if you have this common thread, like this Jesus thing that, that, is an umbrella over both of you, then you can lean into those differences and really we become better. Yeah. Because then you can finally have the conversations that you need to have in a loving environment. Yeah. And, you know, we had one of those just as a, as, as my family, we had a a conversation about politics and, and race. Like where can you go anywhere to have a conversation about politics and race? Right. You know, but if you do it in the context of love, yeah. that's pretty much the only way that that conversation can be successful. Otherwise, yeah. it's just how are we on different sides of things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you're really getting at here is like the idea of the kingdom of God being a family. Mm. Like that's mm. that's what's at the core of this is understanding that, okay, we're not leaving the table like you were saying earlier. We're not dismissing ourselves just because someone has a different opinion or a different ideology. They might come to the table with that. But that doesn't mean that we are both leaving the table. It means we stay here until we figure it out. Like that's the definition of families. We're still going to Thanksgiving together. We're still celebrating Christmas together. It might be awkward, but we're here together. Mm. Yeah. And it's like stunning how uh, I mean, it is so hard for us to read the Bible outside of our the way that kind of modern Western life has shaped us. Absolutely. And it's stunning how communal the New Testament is. Mm. Um, like the invitation is to a family, to the church, the ecclesia. Um, it isn't necessarily your individual thing. Um, the invitation is always to community. I mean, again, not to keep going to the text we're, we're, we're moving into, but I was working on it this morning, is the text in, in two when the, the friends bring their paralytic friend to drop them yeah. through the, the roof. Jesus says, when I saw their faith, yeah. he said, your sins are forgiven. Which it's ambiguous in the Greek whose faith they're talking about because the paralytic is completely silent. There's nothing in which the person says or does other than right. just is there. And it appears that Jesus is saying when he looks at the faith of the friends, yeah, he offers that forgiveness. And it's such this deeply communal thing um, where somehow their commitment kind of went into that and, and impacted their friend, the paralytic. Um, and it's just, again, we've become so individualized in this that when, when our faith is purely individual, one, it's, it's lacking a New Testament basis, um, but it, it, it misses this idea of living in community and how radically different that is. Um, that, that becomes the, the church of, of people who think different, vote different, all of that, who are under a different allegiance becomes the space we learn to love. Because as you said, Brandon, that's the only space where you really can have the conversations or this or that or be yourself and yet bump into people who deeply disagree with you. Well, that's the space we learn to love well. And then we go into the world being changed by learning how to love Mm. um, and love the world. I love it because Jesus wasn't threatened by it, right? It wasn't like he said, okay, I'll sit here, but we have to pre-agree on these conditions. He didn't like know who the leper was. They just came running up to him. It wasn't like they sat down and went like, okay, tomorrow there's going to be this interaction. How are we going to do this? It was just totally random, off the cuff, and that was his knee-jerk reaction, was to rush into action and be who he was. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't pre-scripted yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, when Jesus says, 
the command, which again, I come back to a lot because to me it's the litmus test, is love your enemies. Yeah. He deconstructs the idea of hating people. Yeah. Like you cannot, like, you can't not, there are no more enemies. <laughs> if you're to love your enemy, the idea of an enemy almost doesn't exist anymore, at least for the believer, is we cannot look at someone and say, they are my enemy. Um, they are made in the image of God who were to somehow figure out what it means to love them. Um, and it won't look uniform. It won't certainly be based on emotion. Like it'll be a, a, a sort of decisive type, I'm going to love this person. Um, but yet that, when Jesus commands us to love our enemies, I don't, I don't know if we can avoid, like if we can live in hate. I think it gets confusing when we confuse the term love with feel, right? If we think, mm. oh, I'm supposed to feel good about yeah. my enemies. That might not ever be the case, but we can love them. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, I want to I leave us with uh, the question that we started with, only a little bit different take on it. So we started with what areas do you avoid? Um, and we were thinking primarily externally, but I think what I loved about your story, Sam, is maybe, maybe the area where we struggle more than that, than the external avoid, avoidance is the things that we avoid within ourselves. Yeah. And you told the story about... Um, your, how would you describe it? Your reading? Yeah, your... just a bunch of different learning disabilities that I was diagnosed with. And so you walked around life feeling like this massive kind of hole. What was that like? Like, So it was, you know how Steph Curry is like really good at basketball. I've heard that. Yeah. He's pretty good. He's, he's pretty good at the game and he's got a decent shot. Um, <laughs> we'll see if it pans out. <laughs> For me, it was like, watching people like read or interact with with knowledge and things like that and it was like wow they look like Steph Curry shooting a basketball like they're amazing at that uh and then getting in the the space where I would try to perform that like when we watch a basketball game automatically we think oh I could probably do that he makes it look Hmm. so easy right it makes it look effortless and I watch someone like effortless Oh, stop. That's amazing. I'm mad I didn't come up with that. I think I stole that from Shaquille O'Neal. So That's amazing. Sorry. Um, and I hate it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, you want to go and do that. And, like, as soon as I would start to try to read or try to interact with, with any type of knowledge base or math or something like that growing up, it'd be like, oh, wow, I'm not Steph Curry. Like when you go and you try to play basketball on your own, be that at like the Y or a gym or something like that, you're like, whoa, I am not Steph. (laughs) I need a lot of work and I'll never be able to do that. For me, it was like a daily experience of stepping onto the court Mm. and going, wow, everyone's like Steph Curry to me. Everyone Mm. is amazing at this and I just stink at it. Mm. And then being forced to continue to play in the game. All you really do is you hope man, I hope no one passes me the ball today uh, because I'm going to go have to practice a lot and things probably won't get better for me. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it's, you know, just hearing you share even that part, like, and, and the way you described, again, gets back to that proximity piece. Like when you got yeah. near uh, that professor or whoever it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who could empathize and say, I also am like that. Yeah. Like how radically transformative that is to get near someone who had also had the same disabilities or whatnot that you were facing. Um, there's something profound in that. And I, I, I just keep thinking of, man, how beautiful is Jesus then taking on human flesh yeah. to say, you are in, you are stuck in this. You are broken. Um, there's a wound that you cannot heal. And Jesus enters into that, right? And says, I now can not only empathize, um, but can actually bring about that sort of healing. Uh, like it's a pretty beautiful um, picture, metaphor yeah. of of Jesus' action in that. Um, but yet, like like you, I think just brought out so well and was challenging for me was just thinking of the ways that we we can't <clears throat> open ourselves up to that reality. You talked about how the need for that diagnosis was for you to know, okay, this is where I am. Oh, I needed and, to see that. Yeah, yeah. In order to for there to be any sort of kind of movement. Yeah. And I just think of gosh, those areas of shame and guilt that we refuse to bring to the light um, out of fear or whatnot are the things that are preventing us from from that proximity that we need to heal. Yeah. Um, and we just hide them so much. And it's 
it's, you know, it's just devastating to, to sit in that. Oh, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that like Jesus not only can identify with us, but he sits with us, mm-hmm. empathizes with us, and then takes us by the hand. He doesn't just give us hope as like, hey, I'm out here, you can come get me. Yeah. But he sits right there with us and he's able to take us by the hand exactly where we need to go. He's already done it. Mm-hmm. So he's not just a good example like when we watch a movie and we go, oh man, I want to be like that person. Yeah. Or like when we see somebody that we admire and we think, oh, if I could just do that, I think my life would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's actually walked the road. And that's what it was with that um, doctor and professor. He was just somebody that was really, really kind that took mm-hmm. the time to go slow with me and walk me through exactly what I needed to. And I didn't have to hide in front of him, yeah. right? For every other doctor, I was trying to perform and like not have what I had, which was impossible. And that's, that's what happens when we understand our own sin nature and things like that is it's like, oh, I am deeply broken. There is some shame. There's some guilt. There's something off inside of me. And when we understand who Jesus is, it's like, ah, it all makes sense. And I no longer have to pretend to perform. I can be broken in front of Jesus and he'll mm. not only show me what to do, but he'll sit with me and walk with me in that too. So good. I wonder if you see this too. Both of you have at one point been, been youth pastors. We certainly see it as parents where when you see a kid kind of coming up, like learning to make friends and learning social, you know, cues from other people, you encounter bullies and, and you encounter your, your kids or maybe students feeling like they just don't fit in, Hmm. you know, and you watch, you watch, like for me, I'll watch my daughters sometimes struggle, you know, and they'll go, they'll go to school and they'll have some kind of relationship issue and you want to kind of get involved and be like, I see, I know how great you are. Like I know, I also know how annoying you can be, but you know, (laughs) I see how great you are. You see it all. And, and you, the, these kids don't see how great you are in this moment. Um, and that makes you believe them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's as a parent, you want to say, believe me, mm-hmm. I have a better perspective on this. Like, mm-hmm. I see who you are. Yeah. And I, I think there's, there's a sense in which we all need, I think Jesus does it through people too, like mm-hmm. through us, through pastors, through, through whoever is part of the body of Christ, like we can come beside people and sort of name them and Mm. say, no, no, like you don't have to believe the shame. You know, you don't have to believe what you have been hiding about yourself. Like you can bring that to the light and we can show you who you really are. Do you, do you kind of encounter moments like that in your student ministry where you, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Kids, students, like even us, I think as adults, we tend to believe the narratives that are the most negative about ourselves. Like mm. there's nobody normally that's as, as willing to promote negativity as, as our own selves and our own minds. Uh, we, we latch onto that so, so quickly. I wonder why. Any thoughts? <laughs> I think it's just easier to believe, right? Like, yeah. It's yeah. hard to believe something positive. Yeah. I don't know, but there is that like since we, I mean, I don't know. I feel like this is like when I, when I meet with my therapist pretty regularly, this is a lot of the work we do, right? Is like not believing the lies that we speak to ourselves or that we internalize. Um, and then replacing those with the, the truth, right. Of what, of who God, how God sees us. Um, you know, of again being, cause that's what, that's what our heart longs for, right? I think I've used this quote before on, on the podcast, but that idea that, that Tim Keller talks about being fully known and truly loved. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, that's, that's yeah. what we most desire. And I wonder if there's a fear in us and the reason we believe the lies is because there's, there's almost like a safety in that of like, at least then I know what it is and yeah. I, I'm, I'm scared of what's beneath yeah. the lie. I'm, I'm scared to believe that truth because if, if someone else gets to say something about me, that means I'm not necessarily in control. And, and so that's how then do I like relinquish control where it's as weird and twisted as it is. I can just believe the lies about me, but mm. then I can at least control it. Yeah. Um, but there's a vulnerability in saying no to the lies and trusting what God would say of us. Yeah. That that's a deep vulnerability to say, no, I actually do need what God says of me. Um, and that, you know, most of us don't jump into those sorts of vulnerable spaces, but there is to receive love. You have to be vulnerable. 
right? For the, yeah. for the leper yeah. to go to Jesus. Yeah. He had to face some of his fears at some level yeah. and mm. get close to where he couldn't be. I love thinking about know? like him waking up that morning yeah. or like he, him hearing that Jesus was around and healing people and thinking like, man, that's my shot. Yeah. Like I got to get to him and all the, like the, the fear and anxiety he probably experienced that morning. Like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, th- I, I don't think he had much of a plan. Yeah. Didn't sound like it. Yeah. Didn't sound like he was the prodigal son who really had there a, probably wasn't much hope. No. He probably didn't have much hope. Probably not. And I think about that that same Tim uh, same Tim Keller quote. He he says that our greatest fear is that we are fully yeah. known, but not loved. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really the core of it. Like the the core that we that sort of concerns all of us is if we're really truly known. Like if we really, if if you two really knew who I was, you probably would just. Yeah. Look the other direction, mm. walk yeah. away. Yeah. You would probably banish me yeah. if you really knew. So I'm going to keep most of that stuff pretty hidden. Yeah. Which is the game of religiosity, right? When you see, yeah. like, like we'll see in the next text, the scribes who Jesus comes pretty harsh on or the Pharisees is they have found a way to commodify their relationship with God. And so they keep God at a distance by external, like by dem- living from only external righteousness, and they never actually open up the kind of deeper parts of who they are, mm. uh, which is which is why the three of us in professional ministry, at some level, where we're professional Christians, are in the most danger of playing the game and lying to ourselves. Yeah, um, because we can keep a distance there. We can feel like we can control. Just check the boxes. God. Just check the boxes. Just keep doing yep. the thing that makes people happy yep. and they expect. Um, but yet we never do the work of internalizing those kind of areas of shame and guilt that we have to bring to light, right? The leper got to the place where it was like, I have to go to Jesus. Yeah. And there probably wasn't much of a plan. Maybe there was, there was an inkling of hope because I think hope did propel him. Yeah. But there probably wasn't a lot. He's like, this is all I got. But the religiously minded person can kind of wax poetic about everything they know and say and believe. And yet they don't actually trust that if I were to expose the deepest corners of my heart, that would, the whole thing would come down. Yeah. And maybe it needs to come down. Um, but that's the way in which we enter into that love of God. And so like the, I think this is again, the parable that you even brought up of the, the prodigal son, yeah. the prodigal sons, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. you have the young yeah. one who, whose life was train wrecked and came to their senses and went to Jesus. Yeah. And then you have the older brother who's pretty self-righteous and is on the outside of the party looking in. Just as lost and at home the whole time. Just as lost, yeah, yeah but yet there. Yeah. And it, it's there's something there that that I think we, um, as, I think, yeah, as followers of Jesus, we have to be so sensitive to because we can we can play the charade and never actually embrace the, the true love and freedom that God's offering. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being, I feel like um, it's not very popular to talk about once people are, have been canceled like in in the world once they've been canceled we just we just forget they ever existed mm. but i think if you look at if you look at interviews from people that have ever been completely exposed just kind of filleted for everybody mm-hmm. i think that exposure ends up even even when there are things that we should be <laughs> guilty and shameful about when those things are exposed and and we have to deal with that head on it, it ends up giving a reset um, and those people more often than not, even though the exposure was painful, they wouldn't trade it for anything because mm. they're just, they finally don't have to live a lie anymore. Mm. So we have undoubtedly pulled, um, from the depths of our listeners' minds, maybe <laughs> something that they've been avoiding. Um, and I don't want to just leave them in yeah. this. So where, where can we go? with this. Do you guys have any kind of action items, places that we can go? Um, if maybe there is something in our lives, maybe there's a part of ourselves that we just don't want to deal with that we've been avoiding. Um, what would you say to someone like that? I would say, I mean, it's written for us right here in scripture. Lots of times there's not how to's in scripture. Sometimes it's just a question that's posed to us. But with this one, it's, it's really clear that our roadmap is when we see things like that in ourselves, man, that we would fall at the feet of Jesus. And I know that sounds like really challenging or it sounds like out there or it's, it's hard to quantify is what I'm trying to get at. But like, I would say he threw himself at the feet of Jesus because Jesus was a safe person. 
Hmm. Right? Like he didn't just throw himself at the feet of anybody, even though that type of desperation may have been present in his life. He still chose a really safe person. And I think sometimes we've been really hurt because we've fallen at the feet of the wrong thing. Maybe that was distraction or maybe it was just somebody that it wasn't okay to share our story with. And if we find maybe it is like making that call to somebody, getting somebody that's a little bit smarter, wiser, maybe a couple of years farther down the road or even shared the same story as us, that could very well lead to that, that experience of having Jesus like actually personally present showing up through a person for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think of the question um, in another spot too, that might be worth asking where, where Jesus looks at the man and I'm forgetting the story. I want to say it's, uh, it's the guy sitting by the pool and he looks at the guy who's been sitting there his whole life. And he says, do you want to be healed? Yeah. And it's like at first get right. It's like, well, of course, what but a rude question to ask, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's why I'm here, Jesus. Yeah. But then at the second level, I think it's like, no, no, no. Like, do you want to be healed? Like, do do you want that shame and that guilt um, to be gone? Do you want that addiction uh, to be worked through? Uh, and I think in, in some ways, Jesus asks us all that. And for, for, for us as we're listening or you're listening, it could be that the first step is asking yourself, like, are you willing yeah. to do that? It wasn't easy for the leper to come to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yet, do you want to be healed? And are we willing to make the call um, to seek the help we need to find the therapist and make the call to confess the sin to your loved one, um, to bring that out into the light and so that it can be life-giving? Yeah. Um, and there's, I don't say that flippantly. I recognize the complexity of that question to say, yeah. do you want to be healed? But I do think it's the invitation of Jesus is, do you want to be healed? And I think then those first steps that Sam was just talking about, grabbing coffee, sitting with someone that, that's trusted and can help walk you on that road of whatever that healing is or can call out the lies that you're believing, whatever it is. But I think it begins with, yeah, that question of do you, do you want to be healed? Um, I, I think know. that, I think that um, some of us, maybe people listening even, are carrying and have been carrying an unnecessary weight for a large portion of their lives. Yeah. I just think if if that doctor had never intercepted you, Sam, like yeah. the way that the weight that you would carry going through life, mm-hmm. you know, dodging moments where you'd have to read, and um, and it's very very possible that someone is listening right now that is that's still carrying that weight of shame, mm-hmm. and um, maybe this is the thing. Maybe this is Jesus calling you out and saying, "Hey." Let's take a step towards healing. Yeah. Um, find someone. Maybe the first step is just find someone that you know that you can bring whatever it is that you're that you're harboring. Just bring that. Just tell them. Just hey, this is weird. Yeah. But I've been carrying this around for a long time. Um, I feel like you're a safe person, and you're not going to share it with anybody. And you know, maybe it's maybe it's a therapist. You know, maybe yeah. you you go to someone who can't say anything legally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think to get it out, I think is a huge first step. And no, just as, as Sam said, like Jesus is waiting on the other side with open arms. I'm um, not even on the other side. He's walking through it with you. Yeah. Um, and you will never regret making that decision. I don't think. Well. Sammy Lee, thank you for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. And we will be back next week, same time, same place. Until then, bye.